0: support for this podcast comes from san francisco international airport at sfo you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff learn more about what's at sfo at flysfo.com what does motion sound like with kizik Hans free shoes it sounds a little something like this experience the magic of motion get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks from kQED I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to the bay local news to keep you rooted growing up Ali
1: Markovich loved to climb things I was always scrambling on trees and rocks and yeah one of my first dream jobs is to be a tree climber for Ali now a
0: reporter with Berkeley side climbing was a gateway to the outdoors So about five years ago, she got into climbing as a sport.
1: She loved the way that her body felt moving in all these new ways. I love the sense of achievement Um, when I succeeded at a climb that I couldn't even start a couple weeks ago. Now it's a huge part of my life. Some of
0: Allie's favorite spots to climb are Indian and mortar rocks. These famous boulders tucked into an upscale residential neighborhood in Berkeley.
1: Dozens of
0: people visit the rocks every day for the breathtaking views of the Bay Area from the top. And lots of climbers, like Allie go there to grab the same holds that legends of the sport once did. These rocks are sacred, not just for climbers, but for Native communities who have made the Bay Area home for thousands of years, even though that cultural significance is rarely recognized by those who visit. For Native people, the invisible history of the rocks is representative of a destroyed cultural landscape worth protecting.
1: Indigenous people have for a long time been excluded from telling the story of Berkeley and of Indian and Mortar Rocks. And yet, through that, there's their incredible resistance and survival that they're still here and fighting for their rights.
0: Today, we'll talk with Ali Markovich about her two part series for Berkeley Side on the native history of Indian and Mortar Rocks and the role that climbers like her can play in helping to remember it. Stay with us.
1: That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.
0: So I've been to Indian Rock to hang out with my friends before, as many people do. But for those who maybe aren't familiar, can you describe these rocks and, and where they are?
1: Indian and Mortar Rocks are a handful of boulders nestled into a prestigious neighborhood near the base of the Berkeley Hills. They're not too much taller than the houses nearby, but from the top of Indian Rock, you have this super beautiful view of the bay. It feels like you can see everything. The Golden Gate Bridge, the cranes in West Oakland, Mount Tam, it's that view that draws so many people to the rocks. It's just one of those iconic Berkeley places. Like, if you live in the East Bay, chances are you visited Indian Rock to watch the sunset. Maybe you shared a cheese board pizza, like me, with your friends at the top. It's also an extremely popular bouldering destination.
0: What is the lore of these rocks in the climbing community specifically?
1: It's like a rare spot where there's like really good, solid rock climbing, even though it's in a small space right in a city. And it's not that hard to get to. A lot of climbing legends have climbed here starting in about the 1930s. People will definitely recognize Alex Honnold, people like David Broward and Dick Leonard who end up leading the Sierra Club in the 30s. A lot of techniques around safety that actually engendered a lot of the ambitious roped climbing in Yosemite sort of started at Indian Rock. And then later, the sport of climbing in general began to transition to something much more powerful and dynamic. And the dynamism became defining elements. And one of the places that that happened was in the shift of climbers from Indian Rock across the street to mortar rock. And I think it remains a really important goalpost for climbers. But there's also the like spirit of the place or something, like mm. a little something a little bit more magical. Like guidebooks call the rocks the heart and soul of Bay Area Climbing, or I've also heard the granddaddy of Bay Area Climbing. And I think that combination captures it. It it's a kind of place that a lot of rock climbers devote their lives to. So I think there's something about them that inspire this kind of devotional level of commitment to the rocks.
0: I'm curious what role they've played in your climbing journey. Over the years, I mean, are they places you you frequent
1: as a a climber? I climbed there a lot during the pandemic um, when climbing gyms closed. And so it became, during that time, an important place of respite for me um, and a place that I could connect with my friends, connect with nature. And Indian Rock was one of those places where I could find those special momentary fleeting connections with people I didn't know, which I really loved.
0: It sounds like it's been a a big part of your life as a climber, especially in the last couple of years and as someone living in Berkeley. How then did you start reporting on this longer storied history of these rocks beyond the climbing world?
1: In some ways, I started with an obvious question, which was, why is this place called Indian Rock? I wanted to know what Ohlone people thought of the rock climbers. I wondered whether Ohlone people thought that climbing on these rocks was problematic. I also wanted to know about like the space in general, like why went, why the rocks became parks who made them. Yeah. Th- those are some of the questions that I started off with.
0: And also like what, what exactly I guess is the the significance of these rocks to Native folks, what did you learn about the role that these rocks have played in the lives
1: of the
0: Native communities in the Bay Area?
1: So I learned that the rocks are a link between the past and the present for Ohlone people who have made the Bay Area home for thousands of years, or as they'd say, since time immemorial or the beginning of the world. And it remains a place of cultural significance to Ohlone people today. I got to be immersed in an entire worldview. One aspect of that is many Ohlone, like many indigenous people, see things in the natural world, like rocks, as living beings with a life of their own, a personality of their own. They see them as ancestors or relatives. That's something that I already really felt in some ways being an Indian rock. Like, that's what drew me to the story, this feeling that there was, like, more here than just a rock. But learning about the Indigenous perspective on that was really powerful.
0: Can you tell me who you met to sort of help you Learn about this native history, and what are some of the things that they told you about their connections to these rocks?
1: Two of the women I met were Monica Ariano and Gloria Ariano Gomez. Monica is the vice chair of the Muwekma Ohlone Tribe, and Gloria is her sister and a former council member of the tribe. They were used to process plants, meat, and fish people gathered and why are there so many of the mortars in, in one like location because it was like a social gathering. They brought their three children to the rocks who immediately just disappeared into the park running around exploring, <laughs> doing kid things. They don't even realize how special the site is, huh? <laughs> Right. Yeah. The spiritual elements I guess you could say too and ultra significant. There's a powerful moment in the story when Monica sees herself and her family reflected there in how Ohlone ancestors might have also spent time in that same place. Families talking, preparing food while their children scamper around. It's like, wow, you know, our ancestors walked through here. They used this as a processing location they visited. You know, just like our children are running around right now, you know, our ancestors, the little children are running around. So... To have that, you know, that kind of reflection, it just like, I don't know, it makes me emotional, you know, and I appreciate Mm -hmm. that it's still here.
0: So many people visit these rocks every day in Berkeley, and this Native history doesn't always necessarily feel present. So why don't you think more people
1: know about it? Indigenous people have for a long time been excluded from telling the story of Berkeley and of Indian and Mortar Rocks. I think the names are actually really emblematic of the attempts to erase Indigenous people from the stories. If you think about a name like Indian Rock, it it couldn't be more inaccurate or anonymous. California was densely populated with diverse groups of Indigenous people with different traditions and stories and cultures. And then settlers slapped on Indian rock, eclipsing all of those rich histories. How do we figure out how to take care of these special places? I also met Karina Gould at the Rocks. Karina leads the Confederated Villages of Lijon and the Segurité Land Trust. She says Berkeley grew up without us here for the most part. How do we know how to ask permission as guests on this land? I think you're right. Visitors really rarely engage with Native history at the parks beyond on-site plaques, if they even pay attention to that. But I think what's missing from that story is the living culture of the Ohlone people. They're current, they're very much alive, not in the past. I think people don't recognize the ongoing development of the culture that exists today.
0: What has it meant that the Native significance has not been recognized?
1: historically, when climbers are practicing the techniques that they were developing in the 30s and 40s, um, that was in some ways a time when more of the damage happened to the rocks. So for example, hammering in nails called pitons into the rocks repeatedly would scar out a crack and widen it. So that's an example of um, the kind of damage that is, I wouldn't say widespread at the rocks, but is there for sure. So I think one of the products of People's ignorance is that if they're engaging with the mortars at all, non-Indigenous people are often doing so without understanding their significance to Indigenous people and the rich history that preceded them. So when I started reporting this story, someone or many people maybe had been grinding in the mortars. Some Native people consider that to be desecration. If this was a church or a synagogue, something like that, that happened, uh, maybe use said it was a hate crime. Karina had heard that the mortars had been damaged, and when we got there, she you know made a beeline for the mortars around the back of Mortar Rock Park. Um, and when she saw the damage, she called it a huge wound. This was the first ten minutes of us meeting each other, and it introduced me to her view of Indian and mortar rocks as a sacred place. I think it's notable that at the top of Indian rock, that beautiful view we all enjoy is a view of what Karina called the Western Gate, where the Golden Gate Bridge now is. As Karina said, the Huchunoloni saw that as the end of their world. And in the religion, she said, spirits leave the world through the Western Gate. So it's really notable that that's a place that gives access to that view, and maybe in part because of that, is a spiritual place.
0: Well, I'm wondering, Ali, how would people like Karina and Monica like to see the Native significance of these rocks honored? Like, what would that look like exactly for them?
1: Monica Ariano said that she would love to see the park renamed by the city in the Chechenyo-Ohlone language, as opposed to having it be called Mortar Rock. She also talked about wanting to add more prominent signage. She feels like it's hard for people to realize and have appreciation for the cultural significance of the place. For Karina, she would prefer a place that references the area's significance as a sacred place. And... One thing that she talked about was what it might be like to hold private ceremonies at Indian Rock. You know, for there to be a time where she and other Native people could gather when the park was closed to the general public and, you know, renew the relationship with that area. want to move on to kind of come back to
0: you as a reporter, but also as a climber and someone who has an appreciation and a a reverence for these rocks. I mean, you did all this reporting for over a year. Is it fair to say your reporting has
1: changed your relationship with these rocks and and to climbing as well? It has. I think climbers are really good at seeing a lot of aspects of the rock that are invisible to other people. Like, they're good at making out a route out of just what to someone else looks like, a sheer wall face. You know, they're really good at knowing just the right way to tell whether a hold is gonna crumble out from under them and they shouldn't touch it or whether it's strong. But what I think that we are not as good at as climbers is listening to the other stories that the rocks are telling. Something that I love that and Gold said was, the rocks will tell us these stories if we listen to them. And I think it's made me try to be more attuned to the other stories of not only Indian and murder rocks, but of the other places that I'm climbing. On a broader scale, it's not just Indian rock. It's in, to many Indigenous people, it's an entire sacred landscape, right, that's been developed into these bustling cities that so many of us love and that we call home. Um, And so I think, like, how we engage with the significance of a place like Indian and mortar rock in some ways begs the question of, like, how do we engage with our cities, given the fact that these are really significant landscapes as a whole to Native people that have been, in many ways, taken over.
0: Allie, I really appreciate you for sharing your story with us and your reporting as well. Thank you so much for for joining us on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: That was Ali Markovich, a reporter for Berkeleyside. By the way, if you want to read Ali's two-part series for Berkeleyside on Indian and mortar rocks, I'll leave you a link to the stories in our show notes. This conversation with Ali was cut down and edited by producer Maria Eskinka. We're getting help this week from Arithi Banlamudi, who scored this episode and added all the tape. Additional production support from me. If you like this episode, send it to one other person. Word of mouth is one of the best ways that you can help us grow our show. The Bay is a production of member-supported, people-powered KQED. I'm Erica Cruz-Guevara. Talk to you next time.